0: Welcome back to another episode of Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012, and I'm excited to be back with you today for another great episode and another great continuation of our Women's Stories series. I have a guest with me today, um, Alice. Hey. How are you? Yeah. Oh, sorry, welcome, Alice. That's okay. Welcome. <laughs> I'm just too keen.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here and to share my story with you.
0: Yeah, I am super excited to have you. Alice reached out to me um, over Facebook and told me about her book. I I thought that I had done a lot of research about all the books out there available, especially from the women's perspective. On sex addiction but I was not familiar with her book and her work at the grace Spot. And so I'm so grateful that you reached out and are willing to to share with us your story today and some of the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah I'm well I'm just really grateful um, that you're having me on the podcast to chat about it because I mean like you, I'm so passionate about speaking into this void because we know there are you know so little resources for women struggling. And so many women who who need them, so yeah, I'm really keen.
0: yeah, yeah, I, I love that you call it a void. I know when I started my podcast, my my goal was you know, to add a voice to women's recovery. And I was also just floored at the I knew there was a hole there, but I didn't understand the immensity of it, mm. kind of the black hole, I sometimes call it, yeah, um, for women going into recovery. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So, Alice, I'd love if you'd just start and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and then start with telling us a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I'm living in Sydney, Australia. Uh, I'm, I'm married to Lucas. Uh, we live in, yeah, we live in Sydney. Uh, and I am the founder of The Grace Spot, uh, which is a ministry dedicated to breaking that stigma that porn is a guy's issue. Uh, and it's a, a safe place where women can share stories, uh, find resources and further help and advice. Uh, but most of all, my passion in creating this was just like to make a safe space um, because mm-hmm. the world can feel very unsafe when you're a, a woman struggling with porn and struggling with that deep shame that comes with that, and thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm the only woman; like no one else is struggling." Um, so that's why I created The Grace Spot, and that's my my baby. Uh, spent so awesome. my, my time, you know, working on that and um, trying to reach out to more and more women. Uh, so this passion of mine comes from my own story. Uh, I started struggling with porn when I was just 12 years old. Uh, so my story, I think you can probably break it down into four kind of anchor points. There was my first exposure at 12 years old. Um, there was intense bullying during high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an emotionally abusive sexual relationship. Uh, and then my recovery, my favorite part of the story
0: uh, mm-hmm. that we can't
1: forget. Um, but yeah, those, those, yeah. My, those are the four kind of parts of my story. Because when telling a story, it can get kind of complicated and long. So I'm trying to anchor myself. <laughs> so
0: true. No, I, I really appreciate that. So true. Um, I know in reading your book, you, you detail kind of your experience um, in, in the chapter about your story. Um, so le- let's, um, let's just talk a little bit about each of those kind of anchor points. Tell us about your yeah. first exposure to pornography.
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, as I said, I was about 12 years old. Uh, So I come from uh, a Christian family, uh, quite conservative. My parents were uh, a little bit later to having children, so they were a couple years older than a lot of my friends' parents. So they had that little bit of an extra generational gap um, and they were Mm. very closed off about sex uh, and talking about those kind of controversial things. Um, You know, as my brother and I, grew up and we started to hit puberty we had questions about mm-hmm. sex and sexuality and what does this mean and what about this why is this wrong and we didn't really get answers what we <laughs> got was a bible thrown at us <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know the stock standard answer to these healthy questions was just either no or because the bible says so um, mm. we were just we were shut down so, we didn't have any kind of sex education. Definitely, there was no talk about porn. Like, we weren't even talking about married heterosexual sex, let alone
0: <laughs> right. porn on the internet. Right, right, right. I know yeah. my mom used to spell the word when I was little, S E X. Like, she wouldn't even say it. So, yeah. I totally relate to that. Like, yeah, yeah if you can't even talk about. You know, that, the how can you talk about pornography?
1: Totally. Um, You know, and it was was the 90s. Dial-up internet had just come out. So, you know, Mm -hmm. my parents didn't actually know. I mean, I'm sure they knew what porn was. But for them, it was magazines and it was, you know, probably boys who would get into that. Um, They didn't Mm -hmm. know that there was so much porn accessible even in those early days of the internet. So because of this um, rigid kind of black and white culture I grew up in, When I did stumble across porn one day, when I was alone in the office with the old computer, I had no words for what I was seeing. And I didn't know to say no and to step away or tell someone. I was enthralled by it, was excited. It was really quite thrilling because I had no understanding of sex. So this started to fill the blanks in. I was like, oh, Mm. this is answering my questions, ooh this is what bodies look like. This is what sex is. You know, in in hindsight, it was a terrible education, (laughs) but at the time it was, it was working for me. And, you know, I was going through puberty and I had all these hormones and, you know, I was aroused by what I was seeing. So I got, I
0: mean, that's a (laughs) natural reaction, right? Yeah, Yeah.
1: totally. Um, And so I kept going back um, every afternoon after school I'd be going back to that office in the house, closing the door uh, and and just looking at pictures. At that stage it was just pictures um, mm-hmm. but I would look at them for hours on end and when I wasn't looking at them, I would be fantasising about them. And As soon as my parents were going out, I would be excited because it meant that I could go and, you know, look online again and, um, yeah, say to you, I'd, I can't say that word. <laughs> um, <laughs> let edit that out. Um, and, you know, indulge in these fantasies I had. Right. Um, so that was my beginning at 12 years old.
0: I, I talked to so many women and their, their beginning is, is very similar in the fact that they're, what happens is they, they had all these questions and this becomes their answer, right? Yeah. Like this dysfunctional story of what, Sexes or what women's bodies look like or how they interact becomes the answers to all these questions mm. that, that they had. And, um, I just, I, for me, I mean, it was this, it was very similar as well. Um, when, when you asked your parents some questions and you talk a little bit about this in your book, when you ask your parents, you know, the questions, like, I remember the story where you, you know, you asked like, what does the word horny mean?
1: Mm, (laughs) yes.
0: You know, how how did your parents respond? I mean, what, like, what did they say to you?
1: Yeah. So yes, that, (laughs) that story um, (laughs) is one of, you know, probably, you know, one of two situations growing up where my mum actually did give me some answers. Uh, So Mm. I've got to to give her credit for that one. You know, I was, Uh um, we're driving along somewhere. My grandma was in the car and I just said, mom, what does horny mean? because i'd heard it at school and she answered oh it means people are ready to have sex and then she asked me where did you hear that (laughs) (laughs) and i told her it was just the newest insult at school and she was like okay and that was it so you know there was the occasional um, good answer but generally Mm -hmm. um and it got worse as we got older it was just avoid avoid no the bible says don't talk about that not until you're married um (laughs) yeah so it was a really unhelpful uh environment to grow up in Uh, and then I was exposed Mm -hmm. to porn this thing that she'd you know well sex she'd been trying to like hide it from me (laughs) uh and it just became a huge problem for me because I didn't understand it and I you know, I didn't have the ability to comprehend what was I seeing, what did it mean, how was it affecting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, yeah, it came with great shame and great secrecy um, because of that culture because I knew it was a bad thing.
0: Yeah, like right from the very beginning you felt mm. that?
1: Yeah, even though we hadn't had I – mean, the word porn didn't come up in our family until I wrote this book and, you know, mm. my family – kind of came around to what I was doing with my life, (laughs) just talking about porn and sex. Um, Yeah, so it was me that brought up the word porn with them. So (laughs) no idea growing up. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so that was my foundation.
0: And and so, you know, you said instantly you were just kind of um, drawn in and felt that shame. How immediate did you feel like was the addictive piece or the compulsive piece i I have a really hard time at twelve years old saying someone's an addict, but mm. like it you know the compulsive piece was did you feel like that was immediate how How long did that last for you
1: yeah yeah i I'd say that uh, porn became addictive for me later in life when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, this was laying mm-hmm. the foundation um for something that was very familiar for me to go back to when times got tough, um but I do yeah. remember. You know, it was as soon as I saw that first image, which I can still see in my head, um, I wanted more and I wanted to go mm. back. And as soon as that time on the internet was over and it was dinner time or whatever, I was thinking about the next time I could go and see it again and see more. So it was every afternoon yeah. after school. It was, it was quite immediate, that draw, which is totally normal and I wouldn't call that an addiction either. Um, yeah. But I was fascinated and a little girl's mind, fascinated mm-hmm. by porn, constantly thinking about it, fantasizing, eventually discovering masturbation, mm-hmm. didn't set me up to be a very functional teenager or adult.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, great. Right. Yeah. As if the teenage years aren't difficult enough, but oh, yeah. lay this like shameful foundation of yeah of pornography in there that's secretive too, right? Like mm. I'm sure you were keeping that secret, definitely. Um, yeah. you know, and then, and then go through, you know, go into that puberty and into um, secondary school for you. Right. Mm. And, and, and so did you continue to look at pornography? Like take us into those next years. I think mm. you called that maybe the bullying. Yeah. Anchor?
1: Yeah. So I stopped looking at porn and fantasizing so much about it Um, as I entered high school. I think because I was distracted by this whole new reality where there were real boys and real relationships on offer, Um, plus Mm. just the high school experience is just crazy and distracting. (laughs) There's just so much going on. Um, So I did stop for a while, but I think my time in high school um, was another really significant step in leading me towards a life of addiction um, because I didn't have a good time I went to a notoriously rough high school uh, and I was bullied I didn't fit in Uh, me and my friends you know we went through the emo phase we had the (laughs) the black lipstick and the fishnet stockings and the whole thing the whole 90s emo thing and so we got picked on Um, and I was a very sensitive fragile kind of person I'm still a sensitive person. I'm a bit more resilient now, though. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think the, the porn that I'd been indulging in previously and the shame that came with that, I think that also affected my confidence and the way I saw myself um, when it came to these high school relationships. Uh, so I was shattered by this bullying. It was intense uh, and I really feared for my safety at times uh, and the kind of the the final the final the straw that broke the camel's back for me in high school uh, was the boy that i was dating he he was very eccentric he was mm-hmm. very into the whole i need to find my individuality thing uh, and he got a <laughs> lot of bad attention for that um, but one day two guys um, were waiting at his house when we walked home one afternoon and they beat him they beat him up really badly Uh, and i was i was the only witness and my trauma reaction uh, was to freeze and that brought a lot of guilt for many years because i felt like i should have done something Um, it took me a long time to unpack you know that that was trauma I froze Mm -hmm. to protect myself. Mm -hmm. I was a young girl, I couldn't have done anything anyway. Um, But that event really colored the next few years of my life. Um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder about five or six years later. So I I lived with that disorder without a diagnosis or treatment um, as a, a teen and young adult. And that is kind of the segue into the next stage of my story, um, which is this emotionally (laughs) abusive relationship that I ended up in. So I broke up with high school boyfriend eventually at some point. uh, And at 18, after I'd left school, I met a guy and I was so vulnerable and lacking in self-love and worth that the first guy to give me attention, I was like, okay, this is love. I need to take this and go. Like it's all I deserve. It's all I'm getting. Uh, So, yeah, I was very vulnerable and it wasn't a smart choice. I didn't know him. There were many red flags. Um, But I was just overwhelmed by a desire to be loved because I felt like I had been missing that for my whole life. You know, Mm -hmm. from that sheltered upbringing that was a bit weird and from the high school bullying. So I ran with the first guy who gave me attention. Uh, And he ended up... He ended up being um, really damaging uh, in my life.
0: We're at, before we jump into that because I do want to mm-hmm. explore that a little bit with you. Um, so during this whole bullying, I mean that that is so damaging. I mm. it's so damaging. Bullying in general and just feeling picked on is so stressful and so damaging. Yeah. But you weren't looking at pornography or masturbating during that time. Is that right?
1: yeah which in hindsight is surprising. <laughs> it seems uh-huh. like it would have been the perfect escape. but right. I think it was just so intense and painful for me um, that I was surviving. I didn't even mm-hmm. have time to escape. It was every mm-hmm. day I was just filled with anxiety, uh, living in fear and trying to find you know a safe way out of every situation. You know mm-hmm. I had other unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, uh, you know don't we all? <laughs> I still have some. Um but back then, you know, I was self-harming and I was stealing. Uh I mm. was drinking, you know, I was only like 16, 15, 16 at that stage. Um, and just hanging out in dodgy crowds. So I had mm-hmm. those kind of escapes, um, mm-hmm. which were new to me. I was like, you know, I was getting older, I had access to dodgier people and a little more freedom from my parents. <laughs> So, yeah, I ended up, I left porn behind for that time um, and did other unhealthy things. Um, And, yeah, it wasn't until this relationship at 18 that I remembered that porn was a thing that I could use Mm. to, you know, salve this pain and to escape the world. Um, So it was, yeah, 12 and 18, those were the years um, that really, yeah, porn was a big problem.
0: So tell us a little bit about this relationship that you had.
1: Yeah. So for the first, you know, it was probably two months in to this relationship, and I realized I didn't really like this guy. He just wasn't just wasn't really nice, uh, and it was at that point that he pressured me into having sex. Uh, he was mm. aware. I told him from the get go that I wanted to wait until I was married. You know, I had questions about the, up, my, the faith of my upbringing, um, but that still stuck. I thought that was important. I'm going to wait. Um, mm-hmm. But he pressured me. You know, his friends made fun of me. And eventually he got me drunk one evening um, and just I was worn down by that point and incredibly vulnerable already. Uh, mm-hmm. And he pressured me into doing it. And it was just a really awful experience for me. Um, just emotionally, uh, and feeling like I'd lost that that little bit of independence, um, that one thing that I wanted. I wanted to wait. I wanted to have that. I felt like I'd lost that. Um, but besides from, like, just how bad that pressure was and that lack of consent, it was really bad sex. <laughs> he was an 18-year-old <sighs> boy fueled by porn. He had no right. – there were no secrets about that for him. He was like – I'm going to work. If you want to watch my porn, you get bored, it's in this folder on my computer. Wow. Uh, and at the time I didn't realize that was a bad thing. I was just like, I didn't really see that red flag there. I was like, eh, okay, mm-hmm. whatever. I was just in a, a weird mindset. Um, not really. Well, in I reality. would imagine there was
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine there was almost some like relief of like this thing I've been keeping secret. Is no longer a secret. Like, ah, yeah, it okay. is normalized yeah, a little someone bit. Someone
1: else is talking about it. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Um, so, there was really no intimacy in our sex life. So, you know, he pressured me mm-hmm. that one time, and I kind of thought, well, gosh, I've lost my virginity now. It's over. We've already done it once. May as well keep doing it, I guess. And I was really hoping that I would feel loved one time maybe the next time I would actually feel loved by him maybe he would Mm -hmm. like me more if I did more um so we kept sleeping together um for the six months that we were in a relationship Uh, and it was never good it was all about his pleasure mine was never even a thought uh and it was much more aggressive than it would than it should have been um you know there was a distinct mm-hmm. lack of eye contact and he would constantly remind me that my body wasn't quite up to standard it didn't look like those porn stars in the videos he watched and he told me i needed to change or he'd simply just throw me aside and say uh that was forgettable you're forgettable and i would just be wow left there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So time. for listeners real quick, like that, those are all, it's an excellent description of red flags in a relationship, right? Mm. If, if you're not, if there's not a, you know, if there's a distinct lack of eye contact, right? If it feels more aggressive than it needs to be, if there's no focus or um, even, you know, at all any attention to your pleasure of that, um, if there's continual downgrading of your body, um downgrading of you as a person, you know, that was forgettable, that was terrible. Mm -hmm. Like those are those are all really good indicators that you're in an abusive relationship. Yeah. And I think sometimes we put up with a lot as women, um, especially you know, in love and sex addiction, um, looking for a partner. And we put up with a lot, but that's those are indicators that that's an abusive relationship.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I felt like I had no choice. I didn't actually realize that I could leave. I mm-hmm. thought this was the best I was going to do. This was what I was worth. And this is just kind of how it is. So I stayed for far longer than I needed to, and it was only because uh, a good friend could see what was happening from the outside and one afternoon he came up to me and just said Alice you need to leave this guy he is hurting you and you are you are not yourself anymore like you have changed and you're not you're not well you're not coping Alice and that was that was wow. the first time I realized that I actually had a choice like mm-hmm. I felt for the first time I was empowered I was like, oh, I'd actually, maybe I do deserve better. Oh, I don't have to deal with this. It was a revelation to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, power of friendship.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And the funny thing is I ended up marrying that friend (laughs) (laughs) seven years later. Um, It was really, we were just great friends, Um, but seven years after that conversation, we started dating. Uh, And we realized it was something more and um, we've been married for almost three years now. So that's pretty special.
0: I totally love that. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's incredibly special. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's always showing me, you know, I have so much more worth, you know, than I often think Mm -hmm. that I have, Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah. That's, that's the nice part of that story.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I loved about reading your story was, um, and it's just a tribute to, I think, the work that you've done personally in recovery um, is just how clear you are on the traumatic pieces of it, the way Mm. that it influenced you and being able to describe that so well. I think that, you know, knowing that like when you froze in that moment, you know in high school with your boyfriend getting beat up that was mm-hmm. a trauma response right yeah. and likewise when you're appeasing this boyfriend of yours at 18 19 that's also a trauma response yeah. you know those are those are and i i love that about your writing i think that you do a really good job of being very clear i think we feel sometimes that feels like a big gray area. Like, well, I feel, I should feel guilty about that or I shouldn't or this or that, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the shame we get so caught up in that shame aspect of things. It feels really muddy. And yeah, um, totally. I think I love that in your, in your, all of your writing, even on your website and things, I think you do a really great job of helping women understand where those responses come from and and how you know that it's okay like mm-hmm. that that's a legitimate trauma response and we can forgive ourselves for that and move on
1: yeah well thank you uh that knowledge yeah. comes from 10 years of frequent therapy <laughs> yeah. i can't recommend it right? enough <laughs> i Amen. had no idea Amen. yeah i love it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so so what happened after he comes and says you need to get out Mm. what's what's yeah so
1: so um you know that evening with my newfound courage i I broke up with the boy um and lucas my now husband he was you know texting me and coaching me through it it was great um but then after we broke up i had all of this space to ask those unnerving questions and to think about Mm -hmm. what had actually just happened in the last six months and i was asking myself why was Sex so bad. Like, I thought it was meant to be this glorious thing. Like, it was so good, we couldn't even talk about it. You know, why did it make (laughs) me feel the way it did? And I started to wonder, well, what did I do wrong? And it became all about how I had messed up that relationship, which is Mm. crazy, absolutely Mm -hmm. crazy, because I was the one being taken advantage of and hurt and harmed by that. Um, But that's, you know, from bullying from a lack of education uh, growing up and that relationship and everything that he did and said to me, I was in this very vulnerable mindset where everything was my fault and Mm -hmm. I wasn't good enough. It was all about self-hatred. So more questions, just like when I was 12 and I went to porn again to find my education. I thought, well, you know, if I can watch porn, that's basically like free sex ed, right? I can figure out how do you have good sex? Because what we, was doing, we were doing was not good. And, you know, he seemed to be comparing, you know, my body against theirs and my skill set against what, you know, he was watching people do online. So I thought, well, I'll go to that and I'll become better because I could not deal with another relationship, um, having sex with someone else and, you know, it being that bad. I thought I'll fix myself by looking at porn. Um, so it started off as an education, um, mm-hmm. what to do, what to say, how to act, you know, all of that.
0: The noises, all, all of that. Yeah, the whole I, I, thing. Yeah, to- totally relate to that. <laughs> yep. Um, and that's that
1: was how it started, but it wasn't long before I realised that it was also a really great escape from the world mm. because I just had – Pain building up on pain and, you know, trauma on trauma. And I wasn't getting any help. So it was just piling up and I was just falling apart. And this porn world was so intense and it involved pleasure and I could escape into it anonymously whenever I wanted. You know, I was living at a home at this stage. I had my own phone. I had a laptop, high-speed internet. It was my drug. I could just say, see you later, reality. I feel disgusting, Mm -hmm. hate myself, feel depressed, scared, alone. I'm going to watch porn. Uh, And so it became a very frequent escape because I had very frequent pain in my life. And over time, I just, I got more and more hooked. You know, I wanted more intense videos. I was watching it, you know, multiple times a day. And I could feel this escalation. I knew it was happening and I was getting a little worried but my pain was bigger than that logic Mm. so I kept going and eventually I got to the point where I realized I actually can't stop if I wanted to stop right now which I kind of I did and I didn't I was like I shouldn't be doing this this is not good for me but also I love it (laughs) right but if I wanted to stop I couldn't and if I told myself no one time I was like all right. I just won't do it tonight. That's okay. I can cope with that. And I found I couldn't. I would say no for half an hour and I'd end up back on the computer again. And that's when yeah. I realized, oh boy, this is a real problem. I need help.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk to us for a minute. So I loved that what you just said that while you knew it was wrong, your pain was bigger
1: right? Yeah. Like
0: your pain that you were dealing with. So what were you dealing with? Can you talk, do you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yeah. like, what was the pain in life that mm. you felt that was so much bigger than this porn addiction?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, i I'd, I'd never dealt with um, the effects of the bullying from high school. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I found out when I was in my twenties that I had post-traumatic stress disorder from those events that hadn't been dealt with. So I was having flashbacks. I was struggling to sleep. Mm. I was having the most terrifying nightmares every single night. And I was physically ill. Like I lost like half of my weight because I was always so anxious um, that I couldn't eat because my stomach just felt sick all the time. Uh, And so I was having headaches. I was fatigued. I was always sick. I always had a cold or a flu or an infection because my whole body was just in shock and it had been for years. Um, So I had terrible anxiety, um, which made me isolate myself. So on top Mm -hmm. of this constant, uh, you know, fear, the nightmares, the sickness and the lack of sleep, all of that, I had no community, uh, no genuine safe intimacy, you know, I had friends but I kept them at a distance uh, and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time alone and inside and wanting to go out and socialise but being so scared that I couldn't do it because I was going to have another flashback or, you know, I was going to start sweating and people would notice something that was wrong and then my fears would spiral and I'd just stay inside. Um, <laughs> right. So the anxiety was probably one of the, the biggest things that I was facing during this time. And that constant battle between wanting to go out and be a happy, healthy person and feeling like I didn't know how to and it was just Mm. safer to stay inside and be alone, which of course made it worse because isolation makes everything worse. Uh, oh boy (laughs) not
0: we don't not in the moment though right I mean in the moment we feel like isolation is the answer because then I don't have to interact or I won't make a mistake right like I won't do anything stupid and yeah but yes overall isolation is the problem
1: yeah but you know it's I was protecting myself you know I was trying to Mm -hmm. stay safe I was doing the best that I knew how um you know I didn't have any tools so there's no shame in in that that's self-protection and that's kind of your your brain looking out for you even though in the long run it's Absolutely. not helpful it's you know it's what you do to protect yourself and that's what I was doing for mm-hmm. quite a few years uh, and then you know you add mm-hmm. porn on top of that add compulsive porn and the shame that comes with that further isolation and it's just a recipe for disaster
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. Before we get into like what what you did when you realized that this was a problem, um, tell me one. Tell me talk a little bit about the types of porn that you accessed, if you wouldn't mind. Um, mm-hmm. What I I find that um, a lot of women are afraid to talk about that, like what they were looking at, or you know whether it was books or print or videos mm-hmm. or pictures, and maybe how they access that a little bit, and yeah. I, if you wouldn't mind telling us, yeah, like, no, that's how, what did that exactly look like for you?
1: Yeah. So for me, it was erotic fiction and video porn. Those were the two mm-hmm. major things that um, that they, they were accessible to me, easy to get to. Um, and, well, I liked them, so I watched them. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's, so the fiction, that started when I was 12. Um, so back then I found... Online, you know, fan fiction that got very sexual very quickly, uh, and I right. found books at op shops that just looked like regular, you know, detective books or something. But I knew that right. there was sex in there, and I would find it. Um, right. Uh, and then, yeah, as as an adult, uh, I, I watched videos as well. These started out as pictures. Um, and then the pictures turned into GIFs or GIFs or however you say it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. GIFs, um, yeah.
1: And then those weren't enough. Uh, and then so I would, you know, go and watch a short video, something quite soft core, and then mm-hmm. that wasn't enough. So it really progressed, progressed. Um, mm-hmm. and I can see that. It was, you know, books, then it was pictures, then it was GIFs, and then it was videos, and then it was longer videos with more intense scenes and, you know, more people doing more intense things. Um, and, you know, they were really easy to access because I had a laptop, a phone, I had good internet, I had my own room, it had a lock on the door.
0: Wow. So I yeah. could
1: do, you know, whatever I wanted.
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's a recipe for disaster right there. Yeah, totally. When you're <laughs> isolated, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you come to this conclusion that this is a problem. Mhm. And what do you do?
1: Well, for a long time I just kept using porn and thinking this is probably not good. This is a problem, but I kept using it because it was the easiest mm-hmm. option. Cuz mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell anybody cuz I already had so much anxiety about just saying hello to someone. How was I going to solve my struggle with porn and I was a woman? Um, So for a while, it just made it worse because it gave me more shame and I didn't feel empowered to do anything and I'd never heard of a woman struggling with porn. I mean, at this stage, I'd never heard of a man struggling with porn. I didn't think it was really a thing. I was just like, oh, I'm the only one. Wow, I'm disgusting. (laughs) Um, So it wasn't until I don't know how much – I don't know how long it was after I realized it was a problem. Um, But one afternoon it just became too much. Uh, I was at a church service that I would, you know, regularly attend every week. uh, And the pastor was talking about shame. I don't exactly remember, um, but he definitely mentioned shame and that just like triggered something in me. And I just like sat there. Excuse me. Um, I just sat there and cried Um, and I just felt Mm. like I was broken and, you know, 10 years' worth of pain just, like, came tumbling out and I was, like, on the floor. I was a mess. It was crazy. Wow. But I needed it because it had been building up for so long Uh, and it finally came out. Uh, And a lovely older woman saw me breaking down in that uh, auditorium and she came over and just, you know, put her arm around me, let me cry. And then mm. when I was able to breathe and talk a little more, um, she asked me what was going on, like what had been brought up for me that was so intense. And she was the first person I ever told um, between these, you know, wow. huge, you know, sobs and <laughs> like groans. You know, I told her what had been going on. And the crazy thing was this, like, 40 or 50 year old woman uh, in a church building said to me me too you know I used to struggle with porn and I used to sleep around a lot and it was a real problem but I'm actually free now and I was absolutely (laughs) flawed. wow the craziest thing and that was the first time that I had hope in a very very Mm -hmm. long time i knew i wasn't alone Uh, and i knew that someone had gotten free from this it must be possible Mm -hmm. Um, so that makes
0: me really emotional just that like that power of me too yeah right that power of like i'm not i'm not crazy i i'm not broke like i can i can be free of this
1: it was it was amazing it was so powerful uh, and it gets better because she decided she'd like to mentor me uh, and help me mm. work through some recovery books and, and just deal with this problem. Uh, and she mm-hmm. encouraged me to tell my best friend as well. She said, you know, you need to work on restoring safe and genuine intimacy with people. You know, you're really close with your best friend. I think it would really help you if you told her and maybe you did accountability with her. So I summoned all of my courage uh, and I confessed to my best friend of five or six years and I was absolutely terrified. But then she replied, me too. I thought I was the only woman struggling with porn and I just was blown away again. How was it that two women in my life, one who was my best friend of like many years, who we you know talked mm-hmm. about everything, How have we both been struggling alone thinking we were the only ones and yet we were seeing each other all the time and it was crazy. Um, But that was an incredibly Mm -hmm. special and healing moment um, because Mm -hmm. we decided, okay, we both struggle with porn. We have a choice uh, and we decided that we were going to deal with it. We were going to keep each other accountable. We were going to kick each other's butts uh, and we were going to, like, really work on healing because we knew we needed it, and this opportunity was just too great to pass up. <laughs> it yeah. was perfect.
0: That's, that's definitely a higher power at work in our lives. Oh, right? yeah. Like, yes, to line, line all that up and bring all those things together mm. um, to be at the right time to have the courage, to have the right people in our lives.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't probably wasn't going to do anything about my porn problem unless mm-hmm. this all happened. Like I didn't mm-hmm. – I wasn't the one who kind of took the first step. I had to get broken first and then I had these beautiful women put in my life to walk me through. You know, without them I think I would still be trapped and struggling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is beautiful. And so, how how did you what what did you start with you and your friend and your mentor? How, like, yeah. did you start reading books? So, I mean, what did you what did you do? So, with
1: my best friend, we started accountability. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we did lots of frantic googling and trying to figure out how do you do this? Like, what is accountability? You know, we knew the word, and we knew kind of we needed to check in regularly, um, but we needed some help. So we found some suggestions. Mostly they were from websites directed at men or books that were for men or for wives of male porn addicts. But we made right. them work. And so we would text each other every day. We met up once a week uh, and made sure that we asked each other those hard questions and made sure yeah. we actually answered them honestly. And, you know, because we had a good friendship this worked really well and it worked really organically and so over time you know we started delving a little deeper because we just naturally asked questions like I wonder why that triggered me or you know why Mm -hmm. do I want to use porn so badly this week like what's going on and we were able to start doing some recovery work together kind of unintentionally um, and it's reflecting on what kind of patterns we were seeing in each other and in ourselves and realising, ooh, I have a mother issue. That's why I fantasise about this or that's why every time I see her I want to go home and, you know, look at porn because I'm so stressed out by her. Um, so right. we did that uh, and we kept meeting once a week and talking every day, um, you know, for years. And we're still each other's accountability partners. It's just it's not as frequent now because we have Mm -hmm. quite a lot of um, healing under our belts. But when stuff comes up, she's the one I text and, you know, she'll give me a call. And that's been, that was, and it continues to be the most incredible thing uh, in our recovery and just in our friendship. Um, So that was, yeah. yeah.
0: Is that, and that, I'm sure there were days when you didn't want to call. Oh
1: yeah. And there were days that I didn't, (laughs) there were days where I lied for about three weeks and then I would Uh say, I need to tell you something. And I would feel awful and guilty and awkward, but mm-hmm. she was a safe person. So I was able to say, I've been lying. I relapsed. I've been looking at porn every day. I need to get back on track. Um, and that was the best thing about our relationship. You know, we failed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got back up again together uh, and kept yeah. going.
0: I, I think that's one of the hardest things about recovery in the beginning is we've spent our life so isolated and in so much secrecy Mm. and now on a daily basis, you're shedding light on that. Right. Even with this, even when it's with someone that you trust or is a safe person, it's, it's hard to show up every day and be accountable for my life. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people in the world that live with just kind of a Mild form of escapism, right? Like yeah, they, totally. They don't want to show up and be accountable every day. I think it's one of the hardest challenges of of real recovery is yeah. that that rigorous honesty that comes from being accountable. It's yeah. it's a difficult thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the start, it almost feels impossible because um, mm-hmm. that level of vulnerability, even you know, you kind of run of the mill healthy functioning people who don't have porn addictions they struggle with that vulnerability mm-hmm. is hard because there's risk of rejection right. and pain so people in recovery are incredible like if you are so brave if you're recovering yes. from porn if you've just told someone and you're being honest you are just the most courageous amazing person and it's gonna be worth it and it's gonna change your life 100 percent
0: a hundred percent yeah so true yeah. And, and so how, how has that morphed into, um, you know, a relationship with your best friend? How, like what happened as you started to get sober, as you started to work with your, with your friend, you know, what happened next for you? Mm,
1: so I eventually realized that I needed more help. Um, I'd, I'd been meeting up with this mentor of mine, um, that first woman, Uh, for a few weeks but we discovered that we had some pretty fundamental differences uh, in opinion Mm -hmm. about sexuality and um some spiritual stuff and we're kind of like bumping heads a bit um so she was an incredible beginning to my journey and I will always be thankful for her and her willingness to just take me on and say I'm going to mentor you let's do some recovery work um but I decided that I probably needed a professional therapist um, instead of this mentor, uh, as well as my accountability with my best friend. So uh, that's one of the, the best things I ever did was to book into therapy. Um, mm. I, so I continued doing accountability with my best friend. We kept going deeper and, you know, talking about what was coming up and, you know, these emotional needs that we had that weren't being met Uh, and I also alongside that was seeing a therapist uh, once a fortnight Uh, and I did that for years Um, I only stopped doing Mm -hmm. that very recently Um, and I'm more than open to you know going back to it at any time because it's great Uh, and that's where my real life-changing healing happened Um, you know I was learning intimacy again through accountability um, and I was trying my best to keep sober through accountability. Um, but this therapy was helping me reflect on why did I use porn? Like what was underneath mm. that behavior? Cause it really wasn't about sex. Like there was so much more happening and I just couldn't, um, couldn't figure that out on my own. So um, with a therapist, I was able to talk through everything that had hurt and shamed me everything that I was carrying guilt about that I shouldn't, um, you know, from all the way back in childhood. So Mm -hmm. I had like a lifetime of unhealthy relationships, uh, you know, family of origin issues um, that have stuck with me. Uh, And then, you know, of course, the porn use, which causes its own problems. I had a whole lifetime of that to unpack. So I did that slow and steady Uh, And it was life-changing because as I healed these broken places within me and I worked through trauma and I got medication and treatment, the right treatment, um, I had less desire to use porn because there was less pain in my life. Um, So I had less to escape and my accountability partner and my therapist were encouraging me and helping me to reengage with reality, you know, joining a gym, making some new friends, joining a book club. Um, and so I was creating a new life that was actually really exciting and it was safe, and I was healing emotionally. Uh, and so it was all coming together, um, lots of different little things that I was doing. and you know, I was reading tons of recovery books. Most were for mm-hmm. men, but you know I, mm-hmm. I picked through um, totally. Relate to and that. just yeah. switched the pronouns around <laughs> and kind of tried to put my frustration to the side. Um, that it was all for men <laughs> and tried to deal with, uh-huh. you know, the stuff. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I did find, you know, a handful of amazing books written for women, um, like mm-hmm. No Stones um, by oh, Marnie yeah. Faree. Um, Marnie Faree, yeah. I love her. Um, uh, and Stacey Sprout, Naked in Public, um, her mm-hmm. memoir, um, Beggar's Daughter, um, Dirty Girls Ministries. Uh, and mm-hmm. those really helped me to like finish off that healing. I was like, Oh, there are actually other women. And here are some specific, um, you know, advice for women. Wow. Didn't know I needed yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah. So really I, a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love how you just kind of summarize that. Like we talked earlier about how the pain was so big,
1: mm. you know, it
0: was bigger than even your logic, right? Like the pain yeah. was so big that you just kept acting out and, just cause you stop acting out just cause you quit acting out with porn doesn't mean that the pain goes away.
1: Oh yeah. You know? it does not.
0: <laughs> and so you're still having to cope with all of that. And until we treat that, cause it, cause it's not about sex. It never is. Mm-hmm. Right. And until we treat that underlying pain, we're going to continually want to escape that. Yeah. And
1: definitely.
0: that whole piece of like, you know, healing that and, understanding it and then creating that life that you don't need to escape from yeah beautiful Hmm. so why write a book yourself tell us about that what made you decide to write that to write your own book
1: yeah well even kind of when I was still in recovery well I suppose I'm still in recovery when I was in you know the gritty reality of that, you know, the first few months Mm -hmm. and years. I think even then Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to write a book. Um, Mm. I have always loved writing. It's always been my thing. And there was just such an incredible lack of resources for women. And I just would have loved to have found a whole shelf full of books, just for women who struggle with porn. And it would talk Mm. about, you know, those unique things that, Women face that men might not, um, so I always kind of knew I was going to write that book. <laughs> I was going to yeah. put my story out there and help women because someone needs to. <laughs> I'm like, right? Well, I guess it can be me. You know, that passion uh, and desire was like really firmly in my heart, uh, despite the chaos of early recovery, and it really served as the motivation. me to really get better uh, in those tough times where i had to decide do i want to go back or do i want to move forward Um, so i always knew um Mm -hmm. and as i uh, went through recovery and really made progress it became a more real idea so i started writing down notes and writing my plans because Mm -hmm. i just i could not bear the thought of another woman going through the immense pain that I did and the immense shame of feeling like you're literally the only woman struggling with porn just because yeah. there's no, no other resources that are telling you this. Um, so that that's why I wrote it because it needed to be done. Um, and it's so hard to recover when you don't have uh, a practical guide. There can mm-hmm. be so many different opinions and you know, different books have different ways of saying things and different things they think you should do and most of them are for men anyway so I really really wanted (laughs) to just put this book with stories of real women in it and like 10 steps that you need to take to start this journey of overcoming porn like here's Mm -hmm. how to do accountability here are the questions that you should ask because you know when I was recovering I had no idea I had to kind of figure it out on my own and you know, piece the puzzle together from all of the, the resources that I could find. So I wanted to make something I could just hand to someone and say, here is help.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I know in, in uh, reading it, it's, I love that it's so practical. Like this is, this is why this is how, mm. you know, this is the reason these are the questions, you know, here are some of the controversies around this issue. Here are women who have done this, um, and it, sometimes a lot of the memoirs that we read or a lot of the, um, the, even the how-to books are, can be very theoretical sometimes, yeah. can be very, um, complex,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and very kind of overwhelming. Um, and I, I just didn't find that in your book. I found it very, uh, practical, like you said, a very much a, you know, hand it to anyone and get started and, And and yeah, are you going to need additional resources along the way? For sure. Do you maybe need to go see a therapist? Absolutely. Are there other things there? And I love that you're just so real about all of that too. But and not but, and here's how you start, right? Mm -hmm. Know that like you can start this and you can make progress from today. Yeah. That's what I felt reading your book.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted. You know, I wanted it to be accessible and and simple mm-hmm. um, it's basically everything that i craved uh, when i was mm. struggling and feeling alone i just wrote mm-hmm. what i needed uh, and i really hope yeah. that it can really help um, you know even if it just helps one woman that's enough for me
0: <laughs> but yeah. hopefully it helps more <laughs> yeah so the book is titled Restored. I just realized that we haven't even said that yet. We should say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, restored. And uh, let's see. What was I going to say? Where, tell us where to, where we can find it, how listeners can contact you. Give us a little bit of information about that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so Restored is available on Amazon. Um, for my, well, for your Australian listeners, um, it's also available <laughs> on Coorong uh, and through the Wandering Bookseller, um, which are Australian bookstores. Um, but if you put in Restored, A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Pornography into Amazon, it'll come straight up. You can buy it uh, as a paperback or as a Kindle. Uh, and if you want to find more information about The Grace Spot uh, or just have a chat to me, uh, my website is thegracespot.com um, and you know, I've got loads of blogs on there, resources, and you can contact mm-hmm. me directly through that website uh, if you have any any questions or if you just want to share your story with someone who gets it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate you taking time today to speak with us and tell us and be so vulnerable and open and and share about your story. What last thoughts or messages would you like to leave with um, our Worth Recovery listeners?
1: It's been such an honor uh, to be with you today sharing. uh, And, you know, I just have one thing to say, and it is if you're a woman struggling with pornography, you are not alone and you can find
0: freedom. Thank you. Thank you so much again. The name of the book is "Restored: A Woman's Guide to Overcoming Pornography," um, and it's an incredibly wonderful um, book written from a Christian's perspective on on really how some really practical tools on how to get started into recovery and how to overcome pornography. Alice shares her beautiful story in more detail there. um, Just kind of some of the experiences that she had throughout her journey. And um, I'm just really grateful to be able to recommend that to you. There are, as we said, so such a lack of tools for women and to have another resource to be able to recommend for you to get started in your recovery process or to strengthen your recovery process or to use as a tool when someone comes to you, Um, and to talk about their pornography problem. um, It's a really great option. Thanks again, Alice, for being with us here today. Thank you so much
1: for having me. It's been
0: awesome.